Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 192. It's titled, Is Anything Scarce Anymore? It's the Winter Olympics, and every native-speaking Korean and those that have learned the language are grimacing whenever an NBC television announcer mispronounces the host city's name, Pyeongchang. It's what it's called, not Pyeongchang. NBC spent $963 million for the rights to air the Olympics in the U.S., but it couldn't bother to take the time to teach its television analysts how to pronounce the host's city name. I cut the cord in 2012, so I do not have cable, don't have satellite. All the program I get in terms of television is really what I can get on Netflix. Sometimes I've subscribed to Sling in the past. And for the Olympics, I subscribed to Hulu Live. But still, one of the things that's scarce in our household is NBC's primetime coverage of the Olympics. My local NBC affiliate is not, or any NBC affiliate, is not on Hulu Live. Which means I don't get to see the snowboarding, the ice skating, but I get to see a lot of curling and speed skating. Here's what the FCC states on their website. Your ability to receive a particular station is determined by legislation enacted by Congress and implemented by the Federal Communications Commission. So all that debate on net neutrality, which hopefully we'll get to today, but one of the things that you don't hear any debate on is why can't I get a local station without having to go by a separate antenna. Well, effectively, my local NBC affiliate has been granted a a monopoly to broadcast snowboarding and ice skating via NBC in exchange for providing a digital signal of sufficient strength. So it's my fault that I don't want to buy an antenna, but they have a monopoly granted by Congress They have some intellectual property. Here's a paper by Mark A. Lemley called IP in a World Without Scarcity. The quote is, intellectual property rights are designed to artificially replicate scarcity where it would not otherwise exist. In its simplest form, IP law takes public goods that would otherwise be available to all and artificially restricts their distribution. It makes ideas scarce because then 
we can bring them into the economy and charge for them. And economics knows how to deal with scarce things. That's what economics historically, for centuries, has been based on scarcity. But things aren't quite as scarce anymore. Lemley points out that the classical view of intellectual property law is we need it everywhere. We need this artificial scarcity, controlling rights over everything. Otherwise, no one would get paid to create. But it's not working. He points out that despite the copyrights and flood of privacy lawsuits, people still copy. Corey Dockerow points out that the internet is literally a copying machine. That's what it does. It just makes copy. The website, my website on your computer is a copy. And but people, even without this copyright protection, this artificial scarcity, they continue to create. The fear was we needed this copyrights and in intellectual property because People would never get paid to create. They would not create at all. Yet we have a huge amount of creation. Tons and tons of content on the internet. Content is not scarce. And so the question is, how much protection should be given? Certainly in the case of NBC, they paid $900 million to broadcast the Olympics, I think they deserve some protection. I'm not going to rip off their signal. Ryan Holiday wrote the book Perennial Seller. He points out that Tim Ferriss asked a question. If TED, you know TED Talks, you've probably seen their videos for free on the internet. He asked if they charge for their videos from the beginning, where would they be now? And the answer is probably obscurity. Nobody would have heard of it. The videos are free, but it costs $10,000 to actually attend the conference. People want the tickets. That's where the scarcity is. So all this free stuff, and then, but they found a way to charge for an aspect of it. Cory Doctorow is a well-known science fiction writer and author of the book, Information Doesn't Want to Be Free, Laws for the Internet Age. He writes, although it's hard to turn fame into money in the arts, it's impossible to turn obscurity into money in the arts. It doesn't matter how you plan on making your money, selling books or downloads, selling ads, getting sponsorship, getting crowdfunded, getting commissions, licensing to someone else, who's figured out how to make money, you won't get the chance unless people have heard of your stuff. If you're obscure, doesn't matter if somebody steals your stuff. He goes on in this book, one particular strain of madness is the overwhelming irrational concern that you might be letting someone benefit from your work for free. What an, an economist would call aversion to positive externalities. In plain English, that's worrying that someone else is getting some benefit from your investment of labor or capital. It's a bit like worrying that lost strangers are reading 
their street maps using the extra light from your porch as you sit out reading on a warm night. If you're paying for the light, why should they reap the benefit? If you can figure out a way to set up a service selling porch light, you might be onto something. But if you find yourself resorting to angrily switching off the light every time someone gets too close to your house, you're not going to have a very pleasant night. When it comes to policing your externalities, a little goes a long way. Here's some other things he mentions that don't make money. Complaining about privacy, calling your customers thieves, treating your customers like thieves. Intangible assets, intellectual property, have what Jonathan Haskell and Stan Westlake in their book, Capitalism Without Capital, they call it spillover. They point out competitors can reverse engineer products and invent around it, changing one aspect of a product so it offers no protection. Months or years of litigation could, could follow just trying to, to do that. And they point out the Wright brothers, after their first flight, spent much of their time not developing a better aircraft, but fighting those who they thought were infringing on their patents. So Ryan Holiday, when when he talked about creating in his book, Perennial Seller, that what we want to create is word of mouth. That's what we're creating, buzz. And when it comes to what's scarce... What's scarce is attention. People only have so much time. So we have scarcity of attention, and we also have scarcity of trust. Seth Godin wrote a post on this. It's called the two it's called trust and attention. The two scarce elements of our economy are trust and attention. Trust is scarce because it's not a simple instinct, and it's incredibly fragile disappearing often in the face of greed, shortcuts, or ignorance. And attention is scarce because it doesn't scale. We can't do more than one thing at a time. And the number of organizations and ideas that are competing for our attention grows daily. Now I think about my business. Most of my content is free. You can get this podcast for free. It has ads, but I've created a lot of free content with the idea that somebody would share it with others, and they have, and thank you for that. But there's some aspect that people would be willing to pay for, and that's more timely content and investment insights. And some join Money for the Rest of Us Plus because they get an ad-free version of the podcast. And I thought about this a lot recently because I'm writing a book, and on an investing book. And we've gotten some feedback from a publisher who said so much advice, investment advice, personal finance help is free online on podcasts and blogs that readers won't pay for a book unless the content is substantially different. I don't agree with that. It's 192 podcasts that I've done, episodes, about 3,000 words each. So that's 600,000 words. 
another 160 plus Q&A episodes. Another 300,000 words for that. At least 100,000 words of monthly investment conditions audio commentary. So in the last three and a half, almost four years, a million words I produced, most of it for free. And yet with a book, 45,000 words, the best 45,000 words I can come up with to package what I teach in a way that you can digest it quickly and apply it and become a better investor. Well, not everyone will buy the book. Most listeners won't. Some will. Some might steal it. Get a PDF. You actually search for a book title. I was doing that earlier. Ryan Holiday's book. Perennial Seller. The first thing that always shows up. You give the search for a book title. You show a PDF. People read it for free. It's okay because hopefully they'll share it with somebody else. And there'll be a subset that will be willing to pay. So if you're building a business, an online business, a lifestyle business, you're probably going to have to give away a lot for free so that people notice you. They pay attention and you earn their trust. And then once you have their trust and attention, there'll be a subset willing to pay. They'll actually tell you what they want and what they're willing to pay for. I know people are willing to pay for a book because people ask me all the time for transcripts to the podcast, which I don't produce because it takes a lot of work. And I'd rather make it more convenient and package it in a book. Dr. Rowe points out that technology generally reduces the amount of labor needed to make physical things. Every year, automation drives down the number of human hours needed to assemble a car. Thus, every year for the average buyer, cars tend to get more affordable as their labor costs decrease. That's productivity. Things are getting cheaper because it's so much easier to produce them. But he points out that services aren't necessarily, they're harder to automate. Teaching a kid how to read, examining a patient, performing a sonata or cooking a hamburger. They all take approximately the same amount of time as they did a century ago, he writes. Producing the podcast. I spend 8 to 12 hours prepping producing, and doing some post-production on this podcast. I'm not getting any faster at it. If anything, I'm getting slower because I'm getting more picky. And that's one an interesting dichotomy in our economy that, and Peter Georgescu in his book Capitalist Arise points this, points this out, that there's been a quiet revolution taking place under our noses, he says. Just a dramatic change in terms of an excess supply of products and services. Scarcity no longer determines value because things aren't so easy to produce things, to find a supply, put things together, and, and launch a website. So that in some extent, price is a race to the bottom. Price becomes this differentiating, differentiating factor but also trust. When you buy something, do you look at the reviews? 
to see who trusts them and bought it and liked it. That, that's an aspect of it. But the product, the physical product, is so much easier to make. And really, when he goes on, the, the true differentiator is our ability to innovate, to change, because things, there's this spillover effect. Things can be replicated very quickly. So it's our creativity, our innovation, our trust, our ability to, to, to have attention that we've earned by giving our things away freely. But the services aren't necessarily, there's some automation in services, but most of the productivity, a lot of it's coming in the making of things cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And we've talked about inflation and interest rates the last few episodes. And that that's a deflationary force. Ability to produce things more and more quickly. And we talked about that. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com David for your extended 30-day free trial. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. 
So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Here's an innovation that, as I mentioned, I'm watching the Olympics on NBCSN. I was watching the 5,000 meter speed skating final for men. And I was, I was really interested in seeing Sven Kramer from the Netherlands, who I hadn't heard of until I started watching the program. A big buildup, though. Could he win his third Olympic gold medal? And I watched it for an hour, and he was coming up to race. And for whatever reason, the program started over again from the beginning. It was a repeat. It just started. I have no idea. So I turned it off. But one of the things I learned is that the Norwegian speed skating team is now wearing blue uniforms. A specific shade of blue. Germany's wearing it, Norway and South Korea. For years, Norway wore red. They won 80 speed skating medals wearing red. This year, they're wearing blue. Because their scientists apparently have discovered, although it's a little, there's some controversy on this, that you race faster, skate faster when you're wearing blue. Now, that might be a placebo. I don't know. But it got me to thinking about blue. Blue used to be something really, really scarce. The main sources of blue in the 1200s, 1300s, really until the early 19th century. It was really hard to make. There's a color called ultramarine and another called indigo. And they took multiple steps to make. I'll give you an example of ultramarine. It's, from, it's made from the stone, semi-precious stone, called lapis lazuli. It has laserite I think that's how you say it. Lazarite, maybe that's how you say it. It's a deep blue color, but there's traces of white and gold silicates in there. There's some iron pyrite in the stone. And so they go through this really, really hard to grind up, this stone. And then it's mixed. Once it's finely milled, they mix it with pitch, mastic, turpentine, and linseed oil or wax. It's heated together and forms a paste, and they knead it in an alkaline lye solution. And the blue gradually washes out into the lye and sinks to the bottom, but you have to go through a number of steps. Really, really difficult to do. This is from a book called The Secret Lives of Color by Cassia St. Clair. Indigo is also really, really difficult to make. Multiple steps. And it got to be so difficult that, that the Industrial Society in France offered 6,000 francs in 1824 for someone to come up with a way to develop a synthetic ultramarine. And they took 10 years, and the prize was awarded to Jean-Baptiste Guimet, the French chemist. And, and what was, it got to the point, it, got, it was much easier to do. He found a way to, 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 to do that, and it became exponentially cheaper. 
Ultramarine, the real stuff, sold for 2,500 times the synthetic. That's an example uh, of how products over time, something that was really, really precious and expensive for centuries, became much less expensive once they found out a way to do synthetic. So most things aren't scarce anymore. Most physical things aren't scarce. The things that are often scarce are intangibles, trust, attention, time. But physical products aren't scarce. I did a search for the just scientific papers looking for the term scarcity. The one thing that pulled up that is becoming scarce that's a physical product is drinking water. The BBC published an article with 11 cities most likely to run out of drinking water. Cape Town led the list, but there was some on there that I never really considered. London, Tokyo, Moscow. So there is some physical scarcity. But much of the scarcity are intangibles. It's trust, it's attention, it's integrity. It's our time. Creation takes time. That's what we can be unique at. That's where we can innovate our ability to create. Our integrity. I sold a car this past week and sold it for $2,600. It was a, a very old Outback. And the buyers on the title said, will you put a lower amount than we sold it for so we can save on fees when we pay our taxes? I told them no. One had already written the price down. But that is part of being a citizen. Goes to the streets. It goes to the local state, Idaho. Seth Godin writes, it seems we have to trade trust in exchange for attention. We have to rely on gimmicks or overpromise and hype in order to get people to look at me. And of course, the dance happens because once attention is attained, asking for trust merely slows things down. The most viral ideas ask for nothing more than a click from your mouse, a share, or attention gained. There's a dance in terms of attention and trust. And you see it a lot in the investment, the financial newsletter space. I had an email conversation this week with John, and, and he's worried about the national debt. And I've done a number of episodes on it, the recent topics season was on the national debt. And it's not that I'm not worried about the national debt and believe individuals should have pockets of independence away from the financial system, have something to hedge against potential inflation. But what bugs me about it is, and I won't even give the name of the source, is selling fear, selling fear of economic ruin and collapse to get attention That's what I don't want to do. And I don't think we should all do that. I think we will, if we create something unique to us, it will gradually, through word of mouth, people by people, we don't use gimmicks, we'll earn the attention, we'll earn the trust, and we'll earn the customers. And that's how you build a business in the 21st century. 
But there is an impediment to that. And that is this concept of net neutrality. And I'm not an expert by any means on net neutrality. But our ability, what has allowed this creation of content by so many people to be able to share is the ability to distribute it. And Corey Doctorow points out, we're already paying our internet service providers twice. I pay to access content. I also pay to distribute my content. And they want the ability to choose who gets what content and how fast. Dr. Rowe gives an example of a, a local pizza place that makes the best pizza in town. Has 10 phone lines with phone answers to take orders, but hasn't paid the phone company for premium access because it couldn't outbid Domino's. So when you call it, about half the time you get a busy signal, even if it has non-busy lines with people ready to answer them. Meanwhile, every call to Domino's gets through right away because they paid for premium service. You're right, but HD wants to pick the winners in the pizza wars, handing over the ability to reliably receive orders to the deepest pocketed pizza shop on the block. And that's, that's sort of the crux at net neutrality, picking the winners, which will prevent you and me potentially from being able to distribute and have people find our content as easily. This false scarcity, artificial scarcity being created by Congress and the FCC. Just like there is for the local television station. Well, I can't watch my primetime television, NBC Olympic coverage, without going out and buy an antenna. But he goes on, a robust regulator could solve the problem of net neutrality at the stroke of a pen. The chairman of the Federal Communication Commission could say, look, we gave you trillions of dollars in right-of-ways savings so the public could get the network it needs. In other words, the ability to lay down cable all over the city, all over the countryside. He goes on, if you want to run your network for maximum profit without considering the public interest, get your wires out of our dirt and start negotiating your rights of way, right away to put those wires down. You have six weeks, and after that, we'll pay you the scrappage rates for the copper. Don't worry, we'll find any number of companies that'd be happy to take this giant subsidy and give the public back its due. There's a balance between private property rights and public good. A balance between artificial scarcity created by law and the right that we want to get stuff for free. I don't have all the answers, but it's fascinating to see how the economy is developing and how we work through work through those issues, to see how things that are becoming scarce, most of them are intangible. And how we how we do that, how do we do that? How do we earn that trust? How do we get that attention? How does it work out when everything's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper in terms of physical goods, whereas services, healthcare, aren't getting the economies to scale, the productivity quite as fast, and they're getting more expensive and becoming a larger 
and larger part of our economy. So that's episode 192. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for my free insider's guide. I'll email you a weekly article with those links, or the weekly email with the links, and an article, summary article, or an article, some of my best writing I do each week. That's where I do a lot of writing in my weekly insider's guide email. And you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, just text the word insider to the number 44222. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation, not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week. <music>